Well, uh, if you have your Bible today, we're going to be finishing up a series called The Pathways of Victory. I know some of you are like, wow, I'm really glad we're finishing this series. Uh, Well, uh, I am too, and the reason is, is because the Lord's really been talking to me about what he wants to do in this uh, this summer, I believe that we are about to, as a church, experience one of the greatest visitations of the Holy Spirit we have ever had. I'm telling you, every night since last Sunday, I've had prophetic dreams. The Lord has been speaking to me. I've had to call people across the nation, some to give encouraging words and others to give exhortation words and pull them out of, of, of places that, that God only knew that they were. And I want to tell you today, we're on the cusp of a mighty harvest of children. We're on the cusp of of seeing God do what we have been praying that he would do for years and years. Oh, Calvary Church, I wonder if you only knew the heart of God to reveal himself to you. But with that being said, I also want you to be prepared. I also want you to be made ready. Because a move of God doesn't come without opposition. Move of God doesn't come without a little wind and a little rain and a little pushback. And that's why we've we've been, I believe, God has been speaking to us and saying, listen, I want to show you how to live in victory. I want to show you that when the world seems to be going one way, you can actually live God's way and live in victory. Well, that, if you have your Bible, you can turn to Psalm 1, or if you have your Bible app, all the notes are there in the Bible app. You can find that event, and, and you can add your own notes to it. Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, I want you to get this in your spirit. It says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law or the instruction of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Do you hear me? Whatever he does shall prosper. What's the key to breaking out or moving forward in this kingdom? It is getting planted in the river of God's presence, and it is there positioned in the river of God's presence where we are changed by grace. We are changed by grace. You need to get this in your spirit. Man, I would be so excited to hear that I get changed by grace. And not through some, you know, uh, not, not just through my efforts or, you know, some, you know, systematic theology. Wow, I'm going to get, I'm going to change by a system of, uh, of, of looking at, at, at God or understanding. No, we're changed by God's presence, by grace. And what we merely need to do is position ourselves in those places of grace And watch God bring the change that he promised he would always bring. Now today, I, I, as we're we're finishing this up, you'll notice that many times these places of grace 
are actually things that you need to participate in, that you actually have to, you know, take part in, that you actually need to say, okay, God, I see this as, as, as the place of grace, you know. How many of you know that if you go jump in a river and it's deep enough, you're going to have to swim? So that it's not like a place of grace isn't without effort. Hello? But it's so refreshing and exhilarating, especially if it's anything like the Rainbow River. You jump in the Rainbow River, boy, you'll find a speed of swimming, you know. <laughs> I almost made a joke. I actually held my tongue right there. <laughs> I almost made a joke like if I jumped in a river, I could, I could at least outswim a bunch of women in the NCAA. But anyways... Um, <laughs> Anyways, God bless you. Pray for your pastor. These are the thoughts I deal with. I have a sharp tongue. You know, as you get into the river, you have to understand it's not that you just, you suddenly are doing nothing. What we do is now that we're positioned in these places of grace, we say, okay, God, by your strength, help me to partner with you so that I'm changed by grace. Now, this last one, this last pathway of grace where we've been looking at, like, for instance, meditation. We looked at that in the very beginning about what it means to meditate on God's word, how devotional it is, how beautiful it is when you recapture it in the right way. And if you didn't hear that message, you can go back to Calvary.online and listen to that message. I believe it'll really be a blessing to you. But today, when I say what the pathway of grace is, you're going to think, oh man, that sounds like works. It's not works, but it's a designed place of encountering God, encountering his spirit. As a matter of fact, you'll see today that God wants to marry a move of God connected to this place of grace. And today's pathway is called the studying of God's word. The place of grace is called the studying of God's word. And I want to show it to you today. It's the pathway of studying God's word. Richard Foster, uh, if, you've, if, um, if, if you're ever into reading any theological books, I would highly encourage you to read the book, called The Celebration of Discipline. Richard Foster is a very interesting guy. He comes from a Quaker background, okay? And, uh, and so he, he understands a lot of tradition. He understands a lot of high worship. And he understands things like, you know, perhaps that you and I living in this world don't, don't quite see the same way. But one of the things that God showed him was how much within that community uh, they were being robbed of grace because they, they were doing many of the things that Christians are called to do out of a law mentality. And how many of you know the, uh, the law, it is, it, you cannot be changed by law. You're never changed by law. We're only ever changed by grace through faith. And this is what Richard Foster says. The purpose of spiritual disciplines is the total transformation of the person. The aim at replacing old destructive habits of thought with new life-giving habits. 
Nowhere is this purpose more clearly seen than in the discipline of study. The Apostle Paul tells us that we are transformed through the renewal of the mind. And let me read this verse to you. And I want to show you today how beautiful God is. I want you to see that the way that we are crafted and the way that God has designed us, this is actually beautiful. Some of you today have come in and there is a war going on in your mind. I've got great news for you today. Hang on till the end. There's a pathway of victory for you. And by the way, if anyone is really struggling in your mind, don't leave this place without prayer. Because we mentioned that's the other place of grace, where we pray for one another so that we're healed. There's a healing reserved that happens when we pray for one another. Look at what Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I beseech you. What a great word, beseech. We don't use that. Let me just tell you what we would use, beg. I beg you, brethren, by the mercies of God. That you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service or your reasonable act of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Notice verse 2, and it says, do not be conformed to this world. By the way, the world's plan of changing us is external. This word conform means there will come an external pressure that tries to press you into a mold. Hello, can anybody feel that sometimes when you're out in the world, when you're out in culture, when you're out, you're just, you, you know, uh, and, and there is an external pressure. Now, here is where people make the mistake. A lot of people have thought that is what the church does for people. That we, we bring people in and we're like, don't do this, don't do that, don't do that. And what we're doing, we're like, ah! How many of you know, the more that you highlight what you shouldn't do, you end up doing? Why? Because we learned that what you meditate on, you actually become. We learned that, you know, weeks ago, when you're meditating, that's what you become. He says, God's plan isn't to conform you, it's to transform you. The word closest in English to this word transform is metamorphosis. It is an inside-out job. That means God, by his spirit, reaches in, gives you new life, new thinking, a, a new spirit, and you're changed from the inside out. But I have this question. After all, Romans 12 says, offer your bodies a living sacrifice. So if I've offered everything, why do I need to renew my mind? Why do I need to renew, re- renew this, 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 this thinking? Why do I need to change the way that I think? Here's why. Because the mind is the filter of all human activity. The mind is the filter of all human activity. Notice the greatest commandment. You guys know the greatest commandment? It says in Matthew 22, 37 and 38, Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. With all your mind. 
Now, when Jesus was asked about uh, by a, a young man, he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus quotes this same commandment, Luke 10, 27, and he said, so he answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. The question was about eternal life. So I want to make this statement to you today, eternal life expressed in a believer will include loving God with your mind. When you're born again, you learn to love God with your mind. That is why we, we have to renew our minds. Don't you feel like sometimes your thought betrays your heart? You find your mind just wanting to go in a certain direction? I want to tell you today that when you apply the word of God to your mind, it is the pathway of living in this command. As you apply your mind to God's word, you'll, you'll learn how to love God with your mind, with your thinking. And I know that that is a different, uh, 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 it's a different mindset. Well, I know how to love with my heart. After all, that's what all of our Hallmark movies tell us to do, right? Love with your heart. And God says the way to effectively love him includes your mind. That, that, that means that you may actually need your redeemed imagination, your redeemed intellect to be used for God's glory. Why? Because it affects how you behave. Now, I love this. I know some people here today saying, Pastor, you know you're, your church is in Citrus County, right? I mean, after all, we're not really academic. I was talking to, I was talking to a young lady this morning. She, she, she lives out near the, near the river. And I said, oh, man, that's, that's awesome. I got, I got some of that with Lacucci mud in my toes too, okay? I get it. I get it. And some people say, you know, pastor, when it comes to studying God's Word, you know, I'm not a very academic person. I don't like to read. I've heard that so many times over the year. I don't like to read. Yet, and most of the people that I hear that from are men. And then if I ask them, hey, by the way, did you watch the game last night? They'd be like, yeah, Steph Curry had 39 points and he had 11 rebounds. And he did that in only playing 27 minutes. I'm like, how in the world did you remember all of that? Well, I heard it one time. I'm like, well, maybe you're a little, you're, you're a little smarter than you think. And if this is a pathway, by the way, listen. If this is a pathway of presence that leads to change, if studying God's word is a place where you can meet him, then what do we need to do? We need to apply faith. We need to apply faith. What happened? I mean, you know, when we, when we come up on things that we don't like or don't come natural, you know what we have to do? Philippians 4.13 you say, oh, what does that say? I, if I start it, you can finish it. I can do all things through Christ who 
That's right. Who strengthens me? You start to say, okay, God, I'm going to place faith and I'm going to start in a small way. I'm going to start to read and apply the word of God to my mind. Why? Why is that, why is that so important? Because God wants you to prosper. And if we don't get the way that we think addressed, we won't walk in the victory that he has supplied. That's what Psalm 1-3 says. Whatever he does shall prosper. Now listen, there's a couple of statements I want you to hear today. and Just, just ones that, that help me when I feel like I've hit a wall. Zig Ziglar in his book, book Top Performance, when he was trying to, as a Christian motivator, he would, he would say this. He would say, uh, anytime that somebody offers Tim a reason why they cannot, he would always tell them this. Excuses rob you of power. Excuses rob you of power. So the next time you are tempted to make an excuse, remember, there is a power available, especially when it applies to to spiritual principles, there is a power available to enable you to go deeper and to apply God's word to your life in a way that you never, it would never be possible if it was all up to you. There's a grace that comes from the Holy Spirit to help us. Mark Twain said this, it says, the man who does not read has no advantage over the man who cannot read. I'll say that again. The man who does not read has no advantage over the man who cannot read. So let's ask the next question then. If this is really a pathway where God's grace will come and we'll begin to renew our minds and we'll really begin to grow in the, in the way that God thinks, does God really expect us to read his word? Is there an expectation? Well, we need a word to back that up. You know, Matthew 12, when he was interacting with uh, some of the Pharisees, verses 1 through 5, it says, At that time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples were hungry and began to pluck heads of grain and eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look at your disciples. Uh, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And he said to them, have you not read when David did, uh, wh what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? Notice this statement twice. Have you not read? Have you not read? Who were the Pharisees? By the way, we kind of get this dark cloud as we're reading through the New Testament about the Pharisees. But we actually have, uh, uh, in many ways, the Pharisees to thank for the canon of Scripture. These were not people who, who, who started off in a bad place. They were people who loved God, who wanted to keep Israel pure. But, in, but 
in, in many ways, sometimes when you become more of a political figure than a religious figure, which is what happened with the Sanhedrin, power polluted them, and suddenly they began to nitpick the people, and they got off on the wrong path. That's why Jesus came in that moment, and he was saying, listen, you've got some thinking that needs to be ju- uh, adjusted, and what was he calling upon to adjust their thinking? He says, have you not read? Have you not read? They stand out. Jesus had an expectation that the followers of God would read and study the word. And the implication of this story is that Jesus himself had read and studied David and the priest. Jesus had studied. Jesus knew it. Now, I want us to look at another passage. It's amazing how God orchestrates these things. I want to I show you these things. I'm, I'm kind of laying a foundation for something. You say, Pastor, why, why a week after Pentecost are you talking about studying God's word? Because I'm about to take you to a passage right after Jesus was filled with the Spirit. I want to show you what happens many times when there's a move of God and how necessary the undergirding of the Word of God is in a glorious move of God. Matthew 4, 1 through 11 says this, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit, this is after his baptism, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterwards, he was hungry. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it's written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him up to an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory and he said to them all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me then Jesus said to him away with you Satan for it is written you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve then the devil left him and behold angels came and ministered to him I don't know if you notice this but the devil knows God's word. Your enemy, by the way, Satan is not God's enemy. God has no enemy because he has no equal. Satan is no match for God. He is your enemy, though. And you and I can walk in victory over him. But listen, he has been around for millennia. He knows what God has said. He knows the word of God well, which stands to reason that if you and I are going to walk in the victory that Jesus displayed, then we're going to actually have to win the victory the same way Jesus won it, by wielding the word of God. I'm going to help you today. Can I help you? Can I, I'm just going to help you today. If this bothers you, I bless you. Notice it did not say when Satan came to him, 
Jesus texted his accountability partner (laughs) and said, get over here right now. Satan is coming after me. Okay, I'll be right there. Our plan nowadays is I need somebody to show up when I'm getting tempted. And listen, God's plan was before the tempter comes, get the word of God in your life so that you know how to deal with him when he shows up. And then when the people that you're running with come and say, how you doing? Well, it was a, t- it was a tough moment for Satan today. Come on, I need to help you today. Sometimes, sometimes we, we major on the minors. We're meant, we need each other. We need to encourage one another. We need to build one another up. That has its place, but that cannot take the place of saying, God, I want to position myself in your presence as I study your word. This is so good. You know, as we, as we look at that, that's a great passage on, on spiritual warfare. That passage in Matthew. And we learned some things there. But there's another passage that most of us are pretty familiar with. Ephesians chapter 6. Where we learn about the armor of God. It's all about God's protection. And the one weapon we have. But I want you to look at the one area of protection that God mentions in his word. And this is the Apostle Paul inspired by the Holy Spirit. What's the area of protection that immediately precedes the weapon? Well, let's look at it together. Ephesians six seventeen. it says, And take the helmet of salvation. Where is that? Goes on the head. Sounds like the mind. Let me just say it to you this way. Church, if we're going to live in victory and we're going to enter into the prosperity that God promises in Psalm chapter 1, you're going to have to start thinking like you're saved. Oh, I'm going to get some more agreement over here. Come on, help me. Come on. Come on, if you're really going to enter into victory, you're going to have to put on the helmet of salvation and stop thinking like you're an orphan and start thinking, I have been bought back and brought into the family of God. I put that helmet on and then what? And then there's the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Glory to God, this is so good. It's not the big long sword. It's not a big long sword, by the way. It's a little short one, actually. Made to hand-to-hand combat. I even heard somebody say this once. It says, above all, you know, raise up that shield of faith to quench what? All the fiery darts of the wicked one. But how many of you know that, that, that shield, it's like a door. It's meant to go with other believers, right? But you know what's exposed? Your back. Meant, it's telling us a story that there are some areas that you might be exposed in. And listen, sometimes arrows get through. 
Anybody ever been hit with an arrow before? I'm glad I got four witnesses in the house. Anybody ever been hit with an arrow? Listen, sometimes you need to take that short sword and treat it like a scalpel. And take that sword where the enemy has, has, has pierced you through with an arrow of trauma, of hurt, of things that, that have come against you. They're trying to poison the way you think. They're trying to poison you and keep you from growing in your calling and becoming who God. Sometimes he's not saying, hey, use the sword on the enemy. Sometimes you got to use the sword on yourself so that you can say, oh, no, I'm going to get in here and I'm going to do surgery and I'm going to let the word of God pull out all the poison that Satan got into me because of this problem that I went to. I'm going to take the sword and I'm going to get that arrow out. David strengthened himself in the Lord. Sometimes, oh man, I feel the presence of God today. If you just begin to realize that the presence of God will meet you as you open the word of God. And suddenly you're going to be able to wield it in a way that brings you into victory. And we mentioned weeks ago meditation, and that's a devotional practice. While study is really more analytical. And what we meditate on, we become. But when we choose, what we choose to meditate on should first have been viewed through an analytical process. That means if you study something and you dig down deep into it, it then opens the door for you to meditate on it. Did you know that there are some things that believers have just accepted hook, line, and sinker without ever digging down a little bit in study? I don't know who this is for. And by the way, I'm not super legalistic about these kinds of things. But I'm going to say it because I feel like the Lord is stirring me. And, you know... Um, uh, there aren't very many men who do this, so this probably would be a lady. You know, before you go to a yoga class, you ought to do some study. And begin to understand the roots of what that is. Because if you go into that class doing those poses and start meditating on the things in that room, you will open doors to demons, and when you open a door... You don't get to choose the devil that comes through it. I'm trying to help you here. I don't want to bring you into uh, some kind of condemnation. I'm just saying that there are areas that could be way more helpful. You may, you may you know, say, oh, I don't do that. That's just stretching. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's birth in something completely different. And you need to be very careful, people of God. Now, one, I want you to notice this. I noticed this, and I've said this, uh, I don't know, several times in messages over the years here, is that I noticed a pattern in the body of Christ. Like, okay, there's one primary message of the church, and that is that Jesus is the Savior of the world, okay? That's the number one message. But I noticed that over about the last 10 years, maybe a little bit longer than that, that there was a 
themed message to the church. And that message was identity. It is who you are in Christ. I've heard a lot about it. Like we're trying to, to change our thinking from slaves to sons. To try to begin to change our thinking in this way. And it's been going on for over a decade. Where, where God has been speaking to the church about identity. And we didn't know that in 2022, the number one question asked by culture would be, how do you identify? We didn't know what God was doing. We were like, we were, some of us were going, man, why so much, God? Are you speaking to the church about who they are? It's because Satan is coming with a scheme to try to tell and pervert people out of, of being image bearers of God. He is going to come with a message that says, you could be anything, even an animal. How do you identify I identify as I have been identified by God. And we have to get into God's word and he begins to declare over us who we are to him in Christ Jesus. Who he has made us to be in him. And that's what we receive. Isn't it interesting that all of this is going on as people are battling in the mind. And this pathway of studying God's word is the way you get victory there. Now, I just want to finish with a very simple idea and some practical, practical things to apply when you're studying God's Word. You say, well, what, what, what should I be reading, Pastor? Well, we're in the middle of reading through the Bible in one year, and it is amazing how God lines up what we're reading with what we're experiencing. It's crazy. You should just join in. Well, so, okay, how do I deal with this battlefield in my mind? Well, you practice something called remove and replace. Remove and replace. Notice Ephesians 4, through 24. It says this, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, put that off, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. There's your identity. Notice putting off the old man and putting on the new is directly connected to being renewed in the spirit of your mind. Come on, if you're wondering how do I gain victory, I, can't, I keep doing this, I keep repeating this cycle. We've got to remove it, but we have to replace what we've been thinking, what we've been meditating on, what we've been, what, what, what we, what we've been doing. And here is a beautiful promise from Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. It says, finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, and whatever's admirable... If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now, this tells us not only what to think, uh, what to think about, but also that with God, we have the authority and ability to aim our thoughts. Did you hear that? 
You have the authority to aim your thoughts. Anybody ever been tormented in their thoughts? You know what you have to do in those moments? You have to use the authority that God has given you. And say, I'm going to change my thinking. Oh, you guys know how to change your attitude. I know what you've been doing the last couple of weeks. You roll down your windows, you turn Kenny Loggins up loud. You're, you're breaking the speed limit on Highway 44. Highway to the danger zone. You woke up grumpy, you're like cranking the music. You're changing your thinking. I want to tell you, oh, you want to think God thought? Turn on some worship music. Come on, begin to change your thinking. Turn on the Word of God and let it play over you at night. I'll tell you what, you can change your atmosphere and change your thinking. And then it won't be the, the highway into the danger zone. We've got enough people living in the danger zone. We want some people living in the prosperity zone. So study is the main vehicle that we use to replace old thoughts with new and, and allow God to change us from the inside out. And a man is not changed until he's changed on the inside. And as I mentioned before, outward obedience without a willingness coming from the inside is practicing law and the law is powerless to change us. Your, your, your mind is a, a network of super highways. Your mind is filled with neuropathways. That means that, that the more you think something, the bigger these highways become in your brain. Now that works in both a good way and a negative way. In the negative way, if you're thinking the wrong thing over a long period of time, boy, you have built a super highway. The good news from the scripture is that God gives you the permission... To go be that guy who stands in the middle of the road with a sign. Stop. And says, all right, I'm, I'm going to start construction on a new highway. And this is the way it works in your mind. Did you know that when you don't think the thoughts or the destructive thoughts that you used to think, literally within your mind, that neuropathway shrinks. Did you know that your brain will participate with thinking on the right things? As you think on the right things, as you think on the Word of God, you'll start to grow that neuropathway, and suddenly your mind is going to work with you. That may be a strange idea for you, and you maybe didn't know that, but I'm here to tell you, God has given us the authority to aim our thoughts. And when we study God's Word, there are certain steps in order to grow those superhighways. And I just want to give these to you quickly. First is repetition. Don't think that, man, I came on Sunday and I heard that. What was that one verse pastor said? And you walk away, and you don't go back, and you repeat those, re repeat those words that, that, that maybe you heard in a sermon, or you go back and read it for yourself. You see, repetition is how uh, the ingrained habits of God or strongholds are formed in this way. By the way, the word stronghold is neither negative, it's not negative or positive, it just, it's just a stronghold. By the way, you can have a good stronghold from God. You can have a good stronghold from God. 
And so repetition, consistently reading God's word, that's why it's important to hear God's word, to be with God's people, to have a a consistency in worship. But repetition is how you grow in this area. Second is concentration. I know many people have struggled with concentration, you know, and we're, we're doodling and we got all these other kinds of distractions going on. But listen, the learning process increases when concentration is developed in practice and you have to practice it. Have you ever been around somebody who doesn't like it when it's quiet? You know why? Because those, those super highways in their brain, they're flowing and going all the time. And God says, no, no, no. I'm going to reduce the traffic here for a moment. And I'm going to let you build. And I want you to set an atmosphere where you can concentrate on the word of God. This third one's really key. Comprehension. Repetition, concentration, comprehension. And this is the natural result of repetitively concentrating on something, okay? You'll start to understand it. And Proverbs 4, 7 says, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom in all you're getting. Get understanding. It's important that you understand. That's, that's why some people don't read the word of God. They say, oh, do I really need to know all that? I'm just, I, you know, I'm just going to. I'm just going to be a church attender, and I just love, I'll just love Jesus, but you know, reading and doing all that, I'll let the pastor do that, or somebody else do that. No, no, Proverbs tells us you need to get understanding, and you get understanding by repeatedly reading God's word, and concentrating on God's word, and then understanding will come. Psalm 119, 104 says this, though your through your precepts, I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. And the last, the last thing is this, which really connects the dots to meditation, but it's reflection. Sometimes you just need to reflect. God, what did you say? What did I hear? How does this apply to my life? See, reflection causes wisdom to rest in the heart of men, and wisdom will instruct you what to do. Reflection directly influences our action, and too many times people fail to change because they failed to reflect. Now listen, all of this is beautiful. This is all wonderful, especially for believers. But let me just show you how important the Word of God is, even for those here today who say, I really don't know God. I haven't started a relationship. I haven't placed faith in Christ. I want to show you that, you know, many times you can just pick up the word of God and the Holy Spirit will use it. Notice what Paul said to his spiritual son, Timothy, in 2 Timothy 3.15. He says that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Did you know that you can hear those scriptures that you can study them and when you study the word of god you are studying a book of about salvation that's what this book is about redemption god saying i love you you fell but i'm buying you back and i'm making you mine 
through my only son. That's the message that you'll come up with when you study God's word. People try to denigrate the word of God, but here's what I'm going to tell you. Those who have been claiming that this word would be gone, it's not gone. They're gone. Those people who thought, oh yeah, the word of God, it'll be outdated in no time. It's not outdated. It stands forever. Still the number one bestseller. And I want to tell you today, here's the truth that you can know. The scriptures will lead you to salvation. Church, on the one hand, all of us in this place, I believe we're about to experience a powerful move of God. But when God begins to move you, what do you need to have in your life? The word of God. Because when God starts moving, Satan starts opposing. And when Satan starts opposing, we need to pull out the sword. Many times using it on the tempter and sometimes using it on us to change the way that we think. Strengthening ourselves in God. And if you're here today... You don't have a relationship with Christ. I've got good news. The word of God says, if you simply call upon the name of the Lord, he will wash you, cleanse you of all of your sins, and bring you into his family.